Support for the Manage Image podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming and champions of the world. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels, and Manscaped just launched their fourth-generation trimmer, the Lawnmower 4.0, all across Europe. Join over 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you, 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code MANAGINGMADRID at manscaped.com. Imagine shaving with a sleek, well-designed, and optimized trimmer that makes shaving time your favorite time in the bathroom. Manscaped engineered the ultimate groin and body trimmer by focusing on intelligent functionality and an incredibly comfortable grooming experience. Their fourth-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin-safe technology. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code MANAGINGMADRID at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code MANAGINGMADRID. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. This episode is also brought to you by Hotel Ryu Plaza, New York Times Square, which is where you should be booking your stay when you come see us for the live Managing Madrid podcast in December. Myself, Kian Sobani, Om Arvin, and Gabe Lezra making his return to the Managing Madrid podcast will be doing a live show at the Playwright Irish Pub just actually across the street from Hotel Ryu, New York Plaza, Times Square, which is perfect logistics. And myself, Gabe, and Om, we are going to do a show together in person for the first time. Gabe and I, of course, we did a live podcast in New York a couple years ago, and that was one of the more memorable nights in Managing Madrid history. Like, we we had really good memories from that one, met a lot of awesome people, a lot of awesome podcast listeners. So we'll be back at the same venue upstairs, and you guys in New York, I'm sure you've been there, and especially if you're part of the Pena, you know where the Maravistas go to watch the games and hang out. It's upstairs at the Playwright Irish Pub on December 4th, uh, 7 p.m., uh, tickets to that event are in the show notes and also tickets to any of these following cities if you're anywhere close to them uh, please book your spot we got new york coming up in december we got dallas coming up literally next weekend oh my god that's creeping up so dallas matt and i are recording so if you're in texas if you're in houston austin just make the drive man no excuse i don't think we're coming back to texas and this is like the last time you'll be able to see us hang out with us and uh, we'd really love to meet you. So just come out to, to Dallas this weekend. The tickets to that are in the show notes. We got a beautiful venue booked for that one as well. Gorgeous, gorgeous spot. Uh, so Dallas, November, New York, December, Miami in January, London in February, Washington, D.C. in March, uh, Chicago in April, and then we got Mumbai. <laughs> Mumbai is going to be a banger in May. So links to all of those in the show notes book your spot asap we closed in toronto we had to turn people away uh we don't want that to happen to you in these any of these upcoming cities so please book your spot these places have covid restrictions we can't we can't ba- we can't book more than capacity and just ask people to stand like we did in madrid a couple years ago we, we gotta cap it and you have to get in and also the prices go up if you don't get in on the early bird spot so um, you not only do does it get more expensive and you can also potentially lose your spot and we would hate for that to happen to you so help us with logistics by booking early help yourself by saving money win-win all around by the way um, for those of you coming to New York if you're traveling again make sure to book at Ryu so that's Hotel Ryu Plaza New York Times Square RIU.com the 29 floors of the Ryu Plaza New York Times Square Hotel stand out because of their cutting edge and elegant design 
and there are more than 600 rooms perfectly equipped with a mini refrigerator, desk, television with multimedia connections, central air conditioning and heating, among other amenities, uh, which have been designed to offer you maximum comfort. Included among the hotel's facilities, you will find the fashion bar, the theater buffet, and the Capitol Bar with its grab-and-go concept characteristic of the city. In addition, at their hotel next to Times Square, the facility fee includes access to the cloakroom, a water bottle in each room, unlimited access to the gym, and several other services. RIU.com, book there. Uh, today's episode, a really, really fun one. We talk about how Vinny and Mbappe might coexist, how Vinny and Neymar coexisted with Brazil uh, against Colombia, Hazard's role with Belgium and why that's not replicable with Real Madrid. We talked about Benzema and Mbappe and their synergy with France. We talked about some crazy Sunday night stuff that happened in Portugal versus Serbia and then Spain versus Sweden. So uh, that's just the the tip of the iceberg. We go a lot deeper in all these international games. So uh, kick back, put your feet up, and enjoy this upcoming episode with myself, Kian Sabani, Mehdi Hassan, and Jose Perez. Let's go. Nice article in the Managing Madrid uh, blog. Uh, wonderful lads that do a great job there. And worth reading about that man there. So he bets the man needs to rest and the numbers reveal why. Welcome to a Sunday night edition of the Managing Madrid podcast. It's a very special episode as we have a crew here together for the first time that us three have been together. So myself, Kian Subani, joined by Mehedi Hassan and Jose Perez. We've been kind of tinkering with these roundtable international break um, podcasts where different members of the Managing Madrid squad who are covering respective teams on the international break. And we did this a lot during the Euros. We kind of got together and everyone brought their notes to the table from the team they're covering. And I really enjoyed them. I, I don't know why we, we don't do this more often. I actually feel like we should do this, you know, throughout the regular season, just have more people on, have more of a roundtable discussion like this. So I'm really looking forward to tonight's chat. As of right now, gentlemen, we have just going through it. These are the Madridistas who have qualified for the World Cup. Dani Carvajal um, and whoever the heck Luis Enrique decides to take with him to Qatar when, it, when the time arises for Spain. We have Karim Benzema with France and maybe Kamavinga if he gets called up to the senior national team. Who knows? We have Luka Modric. We have Luka Jovic at the death Serbia today beating Portugal. Casemiro, Militao, Vinicius. Maybe Rodrigo gets called up. Who knows with Brazil. Uh, Hazard and Courtois going with Belgium. And uh, I guess, am I missing anyone? Bale is going to the playoffs with Wales. Mm -hmm. Did I miss anyone? No, I don't think so. All right. And if Can't I did, no. you know, it is what it is. We just, we're not, we're all human here. We're no, we're not robots. We don't have all the answers. So, um, guys, welcome to the show. Um, Mehedi and, and Jose are here. Start with you, Jose. Uh, yes. Uh, so, hello, Kian. Hello, hello, Mehedi. And yeah, and hello, and hello, everyone. I think this is my first podcast appearance of the season. So, happy to be back and discussing. Uh, and discussing stuff with you guys and yeah it's uh, I mean I'm obviously not the biggest fan of international but uh, I, but I don't know I 
it's always there's always some there's still something we make the most out of it and it's always fun to talk about it and for example the game between Spain and Sweden today I think it's still I'm not going to say it's club football level but it's two pretty well organized teams for example so there are there are some interesting games to watch Mehdi, like, look at that. You're, on my feed right now, you just have a big smile frozen. I don't know what happened, but all I see is a big smile. You must be really happy with this international break. What's going on? Well, yeah, uh, thanks, Ken. Uh, thanks, Jose. Happy to be here. Uh, this is actually my first recording debut, I think, like my recording debut for <laughs> Managing Madrid. So, uh, yeah, on, on an occasion of an international break, to be honest, uh, I've, like, since the pandemic i've not been a big fan of international breaks uh, because of being like a selfish real madrid fan uh like players like tony cruz who's still on this uh, ground uh, during the international breaks now like before the pandemic it was obviously like completely different uh there were only uh, you know few breaks and i would enjoy real madrid players uh, playing for the national teams now it's more of a you know just praying that none of them get injured because there are like so many breaks but uh, even then i think our, our players did pretty well during this international break uh, a lot of them obviously made it uh, to the world cup in qatar so uh, looking forward to that and also like what's interesting is the next world cup is in the middle of the uh, you know, football season next season. So many of these players may not remain Real Madrid players when <laughs> the World Cup comes. And uh, the players who are not at Real Madrid right now, we may have some of them at Real Madrid possibly when the World Cup comes. So probably that's something we, we might want to keep in mind. This is true. I mean, it's uh, we, we didn't mention... I mean, we're going to mention Mbappe regardless because... Jose and Jose wrote about Benzema and Mbappe's performance versus um, who who Kazakhstan. Kazakhstan. I, I uh, yeah. yeah. Sorry, I apologize. Kazakhstan. Um, so we're gonna talk about that for sure. So you know, there, these these rosters, these teams, we may have players that we just don't even know about right now, who will be will be part of the World Cup uh, rosters come next summer or next November, as you put it. I still can't wrap, wrap my mind around that. I didn't, when I saw the Premier League release their schedule, that was the first time it really hit me, like what is actually happening? Like we're just doing a World Cup in the middle of in the middle of the season. If it were up to me, if I had any power over it, I would just wrap that World Cup in just like a basket, pick it up, put it in the summertime and probably put it in Canada somewhere. So just for selfish reasons, but just to get it out of the car and put it on the regular schedule, it's going to be bonkers next season. I guess we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Jose, we're, we're recording this on the back uh, of Spain versus Sweden, which was simultaneously going on with Portugal and Serbia, among other games. But those are the two games we'll talk about tonight. Um, and obviously, Luka Modric earlier today, um, they Croatia beat Russia, which we'll also get to. But let's start with Spain, Sweden, even though... Carvajal did not feature in this game. Uh, I know that you definitely have some thoughts on it. I'm sure we all do. What was your what was your takeaway from that game? What stood out to you? Uh, for me, well, this was uh, this is one uh, of, of these games where Spain got the job done, but just not exactly in a pretty way. I wouldn't say this was a great Spain performance, but uh, yeah, they ended up get they ended up getting the job done. That's that's kind of how I summarize it. Uh, Spain played against probably one of the trickiest teams for them because Sweden has a pretty nasty counterattack. 
uh, and it showed throughout and it showed throughout the game. And uh, I mean, they would have been in more trouble had it not been for and Anderson, uh, Sweden's coach, ha- having substituted Forsberg like around the 60th minute, which I found really weird because he was the player who was having the most impact for Sweden. Uh, so, but uh, and uh, on the other hand, uh, Luis Enrique kind of won with his, with his game management. Uh, this team, uh, for all the jokes that are made about Morata, this team kind of needs him, and it show and it showed. So he he gets the MVP for 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 the game, obviously. I, I really thought that the game kind of came alive alive during the end. Like, I mean, there were definitely moments in between the game, like, like until the the maybe like the final phase of the game, like 70 minute minute plus, where things happened. Like you had Forsberg had like really three, three really good chances. Um Spain did threaten a little bit, but it was mostly a lot of this to me was just trying to sit through Spain, trying to find a way around Sweden's. 442 mid block, which was supremely organized. And as you said, like their counter is, is, is really good. And, you know, we saw that in the Euros too. This is kind of their, their main blueprint. They're really good at what they do. And then the game kind of came to life. You had the whole, I mean, the sequence leading up to the Morata goal was, was awesome in itself because it's an almost shot and an incredible save from Olsen where I didn't really truly understand the greatness of the save until I saw the replay. And I also just thought it was hilarious that like, Morata is is in the six yard box and it's a very like it's a clear it's a it's a really clear goal scoring chance it's probably like a a 0.99 on the xg chart and the commentator is just going like brilliant composure look at the way he controlled that I am like how what were our expectations of Morata that we call that incredible composure in that situation I, I I would hope to god he would score that but nevertheless, um, you scored and Spain scored. What were you guys shocked when you saw the Zlatan going in on Azpilicueta and getting zero punishment for it? I was, I thought like now that we have a replay of this, this is a clear red card. I well, I wasn't shocked, but uh, I was happy at at that moment. I was happy that uh, Carvajal didn't start because otherwise it, it would be Carvajal uh, instead of Aspilicuera and I don't want him to be like knocked down by uh, Ibrahimovic but uh, yeah, but I, I wasn't shocked I mean like he's he's that kind of uh, he has that kind of knack to do these things or sometimes you know probably lose a li- little bit of composure in uh, these kind of moments so uh, I, I wouldn't say I was shocked to see him do that but yeah definitely Definitely surprised that that went unpunished. I agree saying, with the uh, agree with the assessment, and that is, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not the first time one sees Slatan lose his marbles like that, uh, it, in these kinds of moments. And uh, I that I am uh, I was a bit surprised that it took a bit. I think it it makes sense for him to be subbed in. It was the right kind, like. It, it seemed like the right kind of player profile to bully Spain's defenders. So I am a bit disappointed that he didn't do... Well, no, I wouldn't say disappointed. I was kind of supporting Spain throughout, but it did surprise me that he, he didn't do more damage. Yeah, I had my eye on that in the starting lineup too, because when I... I, I didn't watch Sweden's previous game, which was uh, lost to, I believe, was it Georgia? Um and Zlatan started that game and there was like, I, I did, again, I didn't watch it, 
And so I, I don't really know the entire context. Yeah, it was a 2-0 loss to Sweden. I'm just double-checking now. So I didn't start that game. There was a lot of discourse of, like, was he a problem and stuff? But everything I had read was that it wasn't necessarily his fault. Sweden got a bit of bad luck or whatever. I did think in this particular game, given the way that Sweden were going to play on a counterattack, I think he's just probably a little bit too slow for what they wanted to do. And Forsberg and Isaac made more sense as a pairing. Um, but I guess I am a little bit surprised he came in so late. Um, I had my eye on this game and the Serbia game, and I was going to decide whichever one has a Real Madrid starter is the one I'm going to watch. And turns out neither Carvajal nor Jovic started. And so I had to decide. And I, my, I, I, my heart kind of told me Portugal-Serbia because it just seemed like a really more fun game for some reason to me. I knew the, I kind of mm-hmm. felt like either way I was going to miss something, but I opted for, for the Spain game anyway. And uh, I just kept refreshing the Serbia game to see if Jovic was on the field. And he didn't come in the 89th minute. And it was incredible timing because I just, I saw Jovic was just entered the field. I clicked on the stream really quickly and Mitrovic scores at the end. And it was just incredible drama. Um, but actually, before we get to that, I didn't want to ask you, Jose, I know you, you may have uh, had some other notes. I know you were uh, high on Gavi in this game. Um, can you talk about a little bit of his importance for Spain in, in the buildup in today's game and, and what, what he brought to the table? Cause I know you were high on him. Yeah, uh, so Gavi is an interesting footballer because right now uh, I would say he's not a footballer that adds much value with his passing, but the main things that he does add is the dribbling, the ball carrying, and pretty good defensive work uh, work rate. Like it's one of those. Uh, uh, I guess it remind it, it reminds me of it keeping saving the distances. Like it reminds me of install to Modric in that you see the small guy and you, but but he really is a, a physical beast. Uh, really good at winning duel at, at winning duels at pressing, and it just feels like a it, it's a it's a great fit, a great midfield fit for the kind of football that Luis Enrique wants to play. So it's uh, uh, like high intensity stuff, a lot of pressing. Uh, he f- he fits the bill perfectly for for the things that Luis Enrique wants of his midfield. So it does make sense that he puts trust in Gavi and Ga- and Gavi has responded really well to that trust. And uh, to me, besides Morata, he's my he's uh, my Spanish uh, MVP. So uh, we're talking about that in this game. Lead f- I think the best summary of his performance and of what he is as a footballer is that. Uh, completed five out of eight dribbles, which is quite good, quite nice. Won 10 out of 15 ground duels. And that really summarizes it pretty well. Like he's basically a one versus one monster, both in defense and attack. And I mean, I think the biggest growth area for him will be to see if he can improve his passing over the years. But right now you already have uh, uh, a pretty interesting footballer, uh, to to play with and for the future of Spain because they need more more dribblers like this. I, I actually have a question for both of you uh, regarding Gavi's like we've been talking about Gavi's profile. So when Pedri comes back from injury, uh, do you guys think uh, both of them coexist in the same starting lineup, uh, or it's it has to be Pedri over Gavi for? for the time being, or is there 
an an opportunity for both of them to coexist for three mil. It's on opposite sides of the midfield, right? I mean, I don't, I don't see why it would be a huge issue. I, I imagine we'll see it with for Barca quite a bit because you have Gavi on the right, Pedri primarily plays on the left. I, I don't see how they would get in each other's way. What there, what would be the stumbling block? Uh, I think like uh, obviously Gavi is is pretty like he can be a physical presence as uh, as Jose mentioned, but. Uh, Busquets is no longer uh, that kind of a physical presence, and I I don't think Pedri is either. So, despite Gavi being pretty uh, pretty strong, uh, I would I would probably have some doubts over starting them both at the same time. If if you're like playing players, like if, if you're playing an opponent with like all of their center halves are like six foot five, they have like midfielders like Arturo Vidal. Uh, I would I would struggle to see probably both of them starting. I would probably have someone like Koke, uh, or Carlos Soler for that matter uh, in that midfield, and either your Gavi, of course. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that's a bit worrying about playing both of them is that the one area where both Pedri and Gavi still have some work to do is that neither of them has a lot. Uh, they're lacking end product basically. So uh, that's what, that's what, that's a big reason why uh, Luis Enrique wants to use uh, guys like Carlos Soler uh, in midfield because Soler has more end product than, than, than any of them. So those, uh, so apart from the defensive, the physicality and defensive transition issues that could happen of playing a midfield of Pedri, Busquets and, and Gavi, I also worry a bit about the, uh, about yeah, having more goals, the lack of goals from midfield, and right now Spain lacks enough, but like they lack a lot of bite in their front line, so they can use goals from wherever they come. So I do think it's important from for Spain to have midfielder who can uh, contribute a bit more on the goals and assists part, which is uh, again why I think Luis Enrique is trying to trust Soler, even though he had kind of a gray game today. True. Yeah, and I think the solar point is interesting. Like I was going to say, when I was watching Spain, particularly in the first half, I thought it got a little bit better at times in the second half. But in the first half, if you look at what was happening, was Spain obviously have, I think it was seventy north of seventy percent possession and decent passing. Like I mean, there was nothing wrong with the passing accuracy, but 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 when you look at their possessions shaped it didn't seem like they were able to break through Sweden that much. And I thought Sweden were very quick with the rotations. Um, you know, they always had someone available in zone 14. They had quick, just coverage on the flanks. They were able to hound Spain in midfield. I just felt like Spain didn't have enough line breaking. Uh, so there was, so there, I think there was one time where Soler played a one, two, and, and that got them to budge a little bit on the right side, but he had, and I didn't check the incomplete stats by the end of it, but at one point, I think it was on the 35th minute, him and Unai Simon had the same amount of touches on the field, and Raul de Tomas just wasn't getting involved at all. And maybe it's a little bit of my my own bias, but I was like, man, Brahim is right on the bench, and this is exactly his type of game. It's his profile. He could break through. He could. He's a, he's a really good dribbler. He works hard defensively. I, I'd love to see. I was disappointed he didn't get a look in, that, in either of these Spain games. Um, but... Uh, but but it is what it is, I guess. I'm, I I think I think it was it would have been worth giving him a look. 
Do you guys have any other yeah. Spain Sweden thoughts? No, no, not from not from me. No, that's about that's about it. And I agree with your observation. Like right now, Spain in this game in particular, Spain was lacking a lot of like was lacking dribblers in the front line because Olmo, Olmo, Sara, Olmo, Saravia, uh, De Tomas, Soler are not really dribblers, and they needed that kind of energy in the front line, which they did, and more energy without in movement without the ball. Uh, which is what Morata gave them in the second half, um, but they uh, but it would have been nice to get Brahim in there just to get get a bit more dribbling and unlock that defense uh, going into the final third. I think that would have been and uh, yeah, that's the thing that Spain still and again that's why Gavi has value to Spain right now. They need more dribblers. Um, so moving on to. <laughs> the absolute crazy scenes in Portugal and Lisbon today. I don't actually have, I, I really couldn't tell you much about this game because again, I watched literally like two minutes of it. The, when I, what I saw when I clicked over the feed was a goal, some crazy celebrations, the entire Serbian bench running on the field during the Mitrovic's goal. And, and then the camera just panning for the next like four minutes of whatever was left in this game, the camera just panning to kids crying in the stands Ronaldo hanging his head and upset and they all just walk off the field. And I, and I was just thinking to myself, and again, I don't have much context for this. I'm like, I'm not sure how Portugal got to this stage with the roster they have. It's a crazy talented group of, 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 of players. Um, but it just feels like they're always in the playoffs. I'd have to check the stats, but like, I just feel like Portugal has just been in the end, Portugal will be in the playoffs somewhere. So um crazy like i i assume they i don't know what who they'll play how that matches up i don't know if you guys do but i assume they'll be in Qatar. so i don't think it's a huge setback i don't think kids need to cry or anything but um <laughs> i um i i just it's just crazy to me that these guys didn't qualify any thoughts on portugal serbia anything well their possible opponents could be uh, Sweden, Switzerland, Finland, Wales, Scotland, Turkey, Russia, and North Macedonia. All right, uh, Oh, ne- Netherlands too. I think is I I, I I might have missed that. Yeah. So, so who do you think would pretty, be their biggest pretty strong challenge? Pool. Netherlands and Switzerland are will be kind of well. Like Netherlands is not playing that well, but Switzerland, for example, is always like. That in some areas they might lack a bit of quality, but they're always really tough to beat. Uh, and I mean, Netherlands has quality, even even if uh, if they're having struggles right now. Netherlands has quality, so those are the that call my attention. I, Same I, here. I was even like lis- listening to you list off those teams. I even thought of Scotland. I think Scotland's like had a pretty decent campaign. Wales has pieces that could hurt you on the counterattack. Like it's, you know, it's not inconceivable, I guess. I, I, I still would assume that they, they get through, but not, when you listed off those teams, I started to think, well, maybe it's not a guarantee unless they get like Macedonia or something. Um, earlier today, Mehdi, I know you wrote about this. Luka Modric and Croatia secured their trip to Qatar and mm-hmm. Seemed like just by looking at the highlights, seemed like a great atmosphere in the stadium. Seemed like uh, it was just, I mean, all these games today, because it was the final day, really had good atmospheres. It was hard to tell in the, in the, in the Spain game, but uh, because of the track, but 
you could once the pan once the camera panned to the stands when Morata scored, you could kind of feel it there too. But tell us about Croatia and Modric in the the win over Russia and their their path to qualification. Yeah, so Croatia actually played pretty much as well as they played against Malta in the last game when they won 7-1. But the thing is, uh, yes, there was a great atmosphere in the stadium, and, uh, but the rain actually absolutely massacred the outfield. And uh, I think at one point it, it seemed like it was a game from the 1920s. There is like every player is covered in, in mud and uh, they're like sliding tackles in the water, uh, in the mud. But uh, but what Croatia's basic plan is in this game has been is to rely on crosses and, and you know, long distance shooting because Russia was obviously going into the game, Russia was ahead of Croatia and unstable. A draw would have sufficed for them, I believe. So uh, they just sh- set up shop uh, right in front of their uh, box with as many bodies as possible. So Croatia, Croatia's main path uh, anywhere close to goal was obviously with crosses. And interestingly, I, I actually have the note uh, how many crosses they put in. Croatia put in 47 crosses, only 11 of them successful. But uh, Russia, like opposed to that, Russia had only six crosses and none of them were successful. So uh, 47 crosses is pretty much like self-explanatory to, uh, you know, show what kind of a game it was. Uh, Brozovic was someone who, who like was finding opportunities to take shots on a regular basis in this game, surprisingly. Uh, early on in the game, uh, Kramaric and uh, uh, Ivan Perisic got some, got some really good opportunities that may... You know, had potential end up in goals, but they did not in the end. And Modric, Modric was Modric was good. Modric was like it was a regular Luka Modric game thing, nothing too low, nothing completely you know out of the world or ecstatic either. But uh, usually Luka Modric games are out of the world when when he's on song. But yeah, it, it was it was a good game. Uh, nothing. Uh, you know, there were not many areas where he struggled. He obviously like, played the full 90 in this game. He did not against Malta. He only played 54 minutes. This was obviously a much more, uh, you know, important game for uh, for Croatia. Uh, and the goal that they got, Croatia, it was it was so funny. It was left back to left back. So Croatia's left back, Souza, he uh, puts in this cross that, finds the faintest of touches from Russia, mm-hmm. Russia's uh, left-back Kudryashov, and it just, you know, slowly pops into the side netting of the goal and, like, all Russian players uh, just holding their agony as it rolls into the goal and Croatian players being completely ecstatic. Uh, but, uh, obviously, the the kind of chances Croatia had, the 1-0 uh, scoreline doesn't nearly show what kind of a game this was. Croatia could definitely have scored more, but with the pitch condition, the rain, things just didn't didn't go that way. But uh, yeah, good for good for Modric that they ended up winning one nil and and he's going to the World Cup hopefully hopefully as a Real Madrid player. <laughs> uh, I I don't think there's any question. I, I was actually going to ask you guys because Lucas Navarrete reported today on Managing Madrid that Real Madrid are going to extend him again, and I'm just thinking like. So next year we have he's going to be thirty six. Is he, or is he thirty six right now? 
I think he's going to be 37. If he extends, he's, he's going, he's going to be, he's going to hit 38. So he's going to turn 37 next September. Um, he's going to play a world cup in the middle of a season. <laughs> and it, it feels like yesterday, like that 2018 world cup doesn't seem that long ago. And I just remember, I just have such bad memories as a Real Madrid fan, like the world ensuing the world cup. It just seemed like every one of our players just had been zapped of powers, except for Benzema, maybe, and maybe because he didn't play the world cup. I don't know, but it, it just, I, I, he's going to go through the grinder again. It's going to be crazy in, if we extend them, it's a it's a lot of minutes. It's a lot of minutes on him. Um, <clears throat> but hey, I mean, it was it was amazing seeing the scenes after the game, just of him celebrating, happy. Um, it you know, it's it's incredible what Croatia and he have done, and and I I honestly like I think just his legacy from the national team alone is incredible. When you tie, when you factor in all all the things he's done at club level with Real Madrid. But the fact that he's done so much for that Croatia team, even at this age, the way he carried them in that 2018 World Cup, truly remarkable. Just a special, special player. And, and the fact that he's doing it with this much longevity and this much physical ability is, is incredible stuff. Um, I wanted to also talk to you guys about the rest of the games. We have a few to go through here. But Jose, did you, did you have any thoughts on Croatia or anything of, like Modric related? Uh... Well, regard, regarding the game, uh, I was actually going through the highlights. And yeah, it seems like a very Croatia kind of game. This has always been, for the last few years, a team that actually can control games a bit from midfield, of course. But uh, in the final third, they've always been a bit lacking in creativity. In Yeah, like unless Modri... The thing, is, the thing that has always happened with Croatia is that they kind of need a plot of Modric. Like, we get the ball uh, to for the build-up phase and another one for the final third or otherwise they seem to be they often seem to lack that creativity even if they have other like pretty good players uh so uh so and the thing is that most of the time with Croatia you see Modric uh kind of running things from deep uh and then it has to be the others who do the things in the final third and it's usually done in a not very creative way and it usually boils down to yes crosses into the box. The other times where Croatia does well in the final third is whenever Perisic has a really good night, uh, which doesn't happen that often. Though he does, he does grow a bit in the big ter- in the big tournaments. So that's that's overall my thoughts uh, on Croatia. It's still quite nice that they manage uh, to go to another World Cup. And with regards to Modric, I hmm, well. We'll see what happens with the renewal, but yeah, it will require very. If he stays for another season, it will require very careful load management because he, I, he's gonna drain himself in the World Cup. That is given. So we'll have to see how 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 Real Madrid can deal with that. And I, I actually, I, I obviously want him. To play for Real Madrid as long as physically possible, unless like he's <laughs> absolutely can't anymore. I obviously want him to renew for one more year. But truth to be told, I am a bit skeptic, despite all of these news and reports being mentioned that he is his obviously money is not a problem for him. He is willing to take pay cuts and everything to renew for one more year. Uh, but 
Uh, I'm not sure if Florentino Perez is actually going to give him that contract, uh, especially like Sergio Ramos left, like according to Florentino Perez, Sergio Ramos left due to a technicality that his uh, offer expired 15 days or a week ago so that now even if the player wants he can't renew obviously the circumstances are much different from for Modric but uh, when there is a chance where he can sign free agents or at, at least attempt to sign free agents like Paul Pogba uh, next season I do have my fair share of doubts whether or not Florentino Perez is actually going to give Luka Modric another year in, in his contract my so my my only rebuttal to that, and again, that you know, who knows what happens that if he may renew, he may not. My rebuttal to that would be if, like, if you look at Florentino in since his return, like since two thousand nine, especially in the last few years, he seems to be willing more to work with people who are humble and don't want to make a big fuss and are genuinely here because they love it. So somebody like Ronaldo and Odegaard, it was just going to be difficult. They they had certain demands. They wanted. They were complaining about certain things. Uh, and 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 Ramos was you know R- Ramos playing hardball. The reason I mean there was a technicality and he missed the expiry date was because he left it. He was playing hardball. I mean he could have just you know I think Modric in that situation may have signed and not waited at all. Um, and, you know, and then you look at players like Modric, like Lucas Vasquez, like Nacho, who are just here, just like, hey, just whatever, whatever, whatever the deal is, just I'll stay. Like, I, I, I think that's that's the counter to this is I think I don't think Modric is going to put much of a fight or try to negotiate or hardball. I think he's just going to he's just going to just he accepts that, like, just renew me, whatever it takes. If, you know, if you can swing it, this it's fine. Just whatever you offer me. That That's how I think this is going to go down if, if I were to if I were to guess. But. Um, I did want to blitz through some of these games and also ask you guys some questions in the meantime. So I have, I'm going to dump some notes on you guys and ask you guys some questions. So uh, Belgium's 3-1 win over Estonia. Hazard played in that game. I said Courtois. And if you look, it's one of those ones that like, you know, on Twitter, like people just do that thing like on football Twitter where they'll be like Eden Hazard versus Estonia. And then they'll put like, three key two key passes and they put all the list all the stats they put an emoji beside each one i don't even know what the emojis mean and it gets shared <laughs> retweeted no one really understands they know they didn't watch the game um so i watched that eden hazard performance and i i don't I'm, I'm i'm not saying it was bad i actually thought it was pretty good but it was one of those things that, like i think if you're playing against estonia estonia i just expected a little bit more um a lot of his performance in this game was just get the ball and play the simple pass and then recycle possession, get the ball back. It was just like a classic 10 roll. And he had two really good chances. One really, really good chance on a break, which he just fluffed. Another one where he shot at the keeper. He didn't look very hungry in front of goal. And then the other, the other times I just feel like he, he's not, he doesn't take players on anymore. He does not what he does. It's just not Mm -hmm. in his game. He doesn't take players on. So it's almost like he's playing this 10 roll which can work with the Belgium national team. And it's not an exact time. Like he did with Belgium as he, as he usually does. He plays uh, at the front attacking slot with Yannick Carrasco taking the left wing back slot. And he does more. Carrasco does the more of the dirty work, two-way winger stuff, defends, attacks, takes the wing. And Hazard just kind of roams in the middle and gets the ball and distributes. It's fine if you want to play him in that role. I don't, I don't mind it. I just, my concern is that part of the reason why he can do that with Belgium is because 
it's it's Belgium and that role can be made for him. If with Real Madrid, you just can't have that role the way that Ancelotti draws things up. If you're going to put him in the central midfield spot, it makes no sense because he can't defend. If you're going to put him on the right wing, sure, I guess maybe, but he's not going to take players on the way like a Rodrigo would. Um, and you can't put him on the left because Vinicius is there. My only, th- the my honest feeling is that the only role that exists for Real Madrid now at this stage of his career is like a backup to Benzema as a false nine. I think he can play that role, but I just he's also not going to score goals for like the way Benzema. So I'm just curious. Maybe we can start with you, Jose. What is your read on this whole Hazard thing? How can he be of use of Real Madrid? Like, is there is there a way we can maximize his his um, his performances? Whew. That is a tough one. And yes, I've also noticed. I noticed uh, um, uh, his performances also in the Nations League. And I remember there was what there. I th- there was one where people were kind of hyping him up, and I'm like, I don't see what exactly is there to hype up here like I don't because a, a lot of the time Asad had better performances with Belgium than with Real Madrid but here I it didn't seem like anything different from what he'd been doing with Real Madrid and like you mentioned uh, on the dribbling side of things it's not promising uh, Asad was fundamentally a dribbler the thing that made him stand out the basis of his entire game was dribbling and now that he's kind of lost that um, it's there's a lot of reinvention that will have to happen with Asag. And right now, yes, you basically give him the, the only thing you can do is like you mentioned, just kind of play him as a 10 uh, that uh, kind of, that links up does like nice, nice quick passes with, with, with the rest of the attack. But uh, in, in the case of Real Madrid, it's really hard to find, to find a role for him at more to find a role for him at the moment. Uh, and yeah, it's uh, unless, unless Ancelotti wants to play at some point of four, two, three, one, I, yeah, I, str- I really struggle to see it or, you know, just as a backup, <laughs> as a backup to Vinicius, but that's about it uh, there. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it's really hard and it, and I also don't see like a pathway to recover the player's confidence and to get him uh, and to get him into a good straight. Cause right now there's just zero re like, there's just no reason to give him minutes when you have in mind Vinicius being maybe the best uh, forward uh, duo uh, in the world right now in terms of how, how informed they are. So mm, it's, I don't see it. I just don't see it. Mehdi, you got. I'm sure you got some thoughts on this. You're the. You're the. Didn't you have something with Hazard and drinking at some point? Jinxing? Yeah, I was. Yeah. I was. I was trying so hard to avoid this, but here we are. But I will avoid saying his name. So Jose, if if you don't know this, I'm pretty sure you don't. So I have this thing until Real Madrid's number seven scores his next goal for Real Madrid. I'm not saying his name. So it's 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 been a while. I, I refer to him as Belgium's captain or Belgian winger or number seven like that. Right. So I think uh, 
I, I don't even think that he can be a backup for Vinicius at this point because yeah. the kind of game he game he is attributed to at the moment. Uh, if he comes on for Vinicius, then we are actually having to change change our tactics a little bit. We can't yes. play the same tactics because he can't. He is not going to take players on. He's not going to make those cutbacks from left to right. So, uh, yeah, I think even more. So Really, is not in a state where they can allow him minutes just to regain him, just to regain his confidence. Because we're not like nine points or ten points ahead of the second team in the league. We're not even like the first team in the league ourselves. We have struggled in the Champions League here and there as well. So, for us, it's imperative for Ancelotti to, I think, field his best eleven in most games. But I think at one stage of the this season, if and I hope that we do. If we get to a comfortable situation, position into in the league, at least, and we also have have the Copa del Rey for that. Uh, I keep going back to this over and over again in many of my football discussions. That what Zidane did in 2016-17 with that A team, B team thing. It was it was pretty beautiful from a squad management perspective. If Ancelotti gets that room in the scoreboard, in the leaderboard at any stage of season, then probably he can play as the main striker in, in a few games. Otherwise, I think his only position at the moment is uh, is backup to Benzema. Uh, but even then, like I would prefer Gareth Bale as the first backup to Karim Benzema, to be honest, because Bale adds something aerially. Because uh, and uh, like our number seven doesn't add anything aerially. So and the kind of game we games that we play, uh, cross are a big part of our you know final phase buildup. So uh, I think I, I would prefer Bale to be Benzema's first backup if he is fit and he, if Bale's not starting. So I think I think uh, he's he's pretty much down the pecking order in Real Madrid's forward line at the moment. Uh-huh. I, I, honestly, any time. <laughs> Anytime we have a discussion about lineups and who should play where, honestly, I just forget about Bale, the, the fact that he's in the squad. But I actually think that that makes sense. I, I think he you, he's reliable finishing for the most part. I think if you put him in that situation, he's probably going to put the ball in the back of that more, or at least more likely than Hazard is. He does bring the aerial threat. He can drag defenders away, you know, on a cross, make some room for Benzema, et cetera. He can actually be a target. He can actually whip some good crosses in himself from the right. I think he would have been playing. I mean, it maybe it goes without saying and it might, might sound obvious, but I actually think he would be getting a significant amount of minutes if he was healthy this season, just given our right wing mm-hmm. situation and the fact that Rodrigo hasn't been hundred percent healthy. Um, yeah. Brazil and uh, Bale and Bale yeah. at the very, before we go that like Bale at the very least, um, the thing is that I I feel that Hazard always needed like this kind of movement and dynamism. But with Bale, even if he doesn't have the movement and the speed anymore, he has that left foot that can do a lot of things without hitting. Like you just win the crosses, really good at striking the ball. So you can get, and that's the nice thing about Bale. Even if right now he cannot move, he's he could still be a kind of he can still be kind of more productive than than anyone we have in the right wing except the healthy rodrigo so so yes so speaking of rodrigo obviously did not make the brazil national team and even if he was healthy and 100% it doesn't seem like he's been able to crack it yet 
we did have Vinicius as a late, late call up because of a uh, Firmino injury. And there was a bunch of controversy, uh, the fact that he wasn't called up. And, you know, I was looking at it and I was like, I think it's crazy. I think he's probably the most informed Brazilian player in the world right now, although Neymar has been having a good season. Um, but, you know, he maybe he hasn't fit in that well with the Brazilian national team. You also have Neymar on the left wing. He did come in at halftime for, uh, for Fred. And... I thought it was really encouraging because I honestly felt that without doubt, without question, that this was the most comfortable he's looked in the Brazilian national team shirt ever. Uh, he played like he he was just with Real Madrid freely out of his head, taking players on, very confident with his body language, dribbling was good, linking up with Neymar really well, which is also very encouraging. Um, so I was really, really, really encouraged by this Vinicius performance. He did have one pretty good chance where he plays a, you know, plays a nice vertical pass to Neymar out wide and then sprints, gets the ball back on a one-two, goes in the break and a heavy touch around the goalkeeper and, and he's unable to kind of finish. But he was, he was pretty awesome. I actually thought basically he was the reason why Brazil went to another level in the second half. He, they, everything dangerous went through him. So I was really encouraged with that. And most, mostly I was encouraged because I, I really liked the fact that he and Neymar together were able to coexist on the left and it looked really good, which gave me high hopes for the World Cup to see what TT can get out of that partnership. And, and they didn't get in each other's way. So my question to you guys is, and we can start with Mahidi this time. We've been getting a lot of questions on the podcast. Like, how do, how do you get Vinicius and Mbappe to coexist? And I don't think it's a huge problem. I, th- I Like, the main argument is, well, Mbappe's best position on the left. And I'm just thinking to myself, have we not been watching this dynamic for the last few years? Mbappe, you know, has been playing with Neymar, coexisting with Neymar for a long time now. I think it works fine. He's been playing on the right wing for France on and off for quite a quite a bit of time as well. I think it's fine. I'm not too worried about it. Um, you know, maybe you could argue that Benzema, the fact that, he he tends to go to the left quite often too, maybe like the three of them. But I mean, we kind of see the different dynamics of that with France as well, which we're going to talk about France in the, in the second year. But are you worried about Vinicius and Mbappe coexisting or you think you think it's just going to be something that we can figure out pretty easily? I, I'm not I'm not worried about that at all. I think uh, uh, Benzema, st- like, Providing that uh, Mbappe arrives at some point in time where Vinicius is still here, of course. And uh, even if Benzema is here, I'm not worried about that either. I think Benzema and Mbappe are too good of players to not figure out how to coexist with Vinicius. And as you said, like uh, Mbappe has been coexisting with uh, with Neymar. Uh, but we do have to you know, keep this in mind that Neymar often plays uh, a central role or played a central role at PSG, which uh, Vinicius is yet to do for Real Madrid. But the thing with Vinicius is he's so young. Uh, we like He might end up being a complete striker like Cristiano Ronaldo, we don't know that. Like that is that is the thing. Like he's, he's still pretty raw despite being this good. Uh, that was my argument. Like over when when Rodrigo started uh, to play on the right for the first time for Real Madrid, people are saying like he always played uh, on the left for Brazil and like he's primarily a left winger. We're probably ruining a good uh, left winger. My counter argument to that was always that 
mm, we're probably not, we may or may not be ruining a left winger. At the same time, we might be creating a good right winger as well. Uh, these players are too young to be constrained to positions like this, I think. And for that matter, I don't think uh, Benzema or uh, Mbappe would have uh, anything on, on Vinicius for his progress for that matter. And uh, these players, especially uh, Mbappe and uh, Benzema, they roll around all over the place in the in the front line. So it, it would really not be a problem for Vinicius to still be, uh, to still own his left flank because Mbappe and uh, Benzema can pretty much play everywhere on the other side. So, no, I'm, I'm not at all. Same here. Uh, and uh, uh, the thing is that, yeah, Mbappe will deliver for wherever you put him on the pitch. Uh, and, and even from a system perspective, so the thing that Mbappe has been doing a lot more lately is that he's having, he's having greater impact with what he does with the ball. But what he offers a lot to PSG these days is really good like he he's getting increasingly good at like carrying the ball from deeper zones uh and helping psg progress like that and the thing is that real madrid already has that with vinicius so i also don't think that we lose out my on the right wait i mean it will be definitely it will take some of his impact but at the same time it could also be good in that you get to and in that you would get an Mbappé that's more focused on just end product and just finishing, uh, finishing in the box. So you have you you could have a team where say Benzema and Vinicius are the ones uh, in charge of getting the ball up from the from deep areas, and then you have Mbappé making runs from the right and trying to finish those moves. So it could be uh, I I what I would envision is an Mbappé playing in from the right and making those kinds of runs and being more focused on finishing plays rather than uh, bringing the ball from deep. Like he's doing a bit more uh, with PSG these days. And well, I'll, I'll just add a little bit. Of, so go, go ahead. Go, go ahead, ahead, Kim. Go ahead. Yeah, I'll just add a little bit on that because like uh, the the brand of football that Real Madrid has been playing over the spirit with and a bit with Carlo Ancelotti right now is that we overload one side and then we try to switch play on the other. So if we are like overloading the left side with the Mendes, the Vinicius, is to have someone like Kylian Mbappe running relatively free on the right is is I'll, I'll sign anything for that. So yeah, I, I don't think I don't think that would be an issue at all. And, and I completely agree with what what Jose said about that. Yeah, I mean, a cross switch of play to Mbappé could be as devastating as like these long passes to Mbappé that complete that are basically a cheat code in international football. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just the fact that just the thought of us sucking in defenders on one side, playing that diagonal ball to Mbappé free on the other side, is is a terrifying thing to defend. Really, you know. It's a huge upgrade over, you know, Lucas Vasquez getting the ball on that side. Um, you know, and, and Carvajal can exploit that pretty well, but we haven't even seen much of him on the field. So to have some presence on the right would be huge. Um, this is a good transition to France and Benzema and Mbappe. Jose, I know you wrote about their massive win over Kazakhstan. And one of the things I noticed you, you wrote about was just the fact that um, Benzema... Um, you know, he doesn't need to necessarily be the alpha guy at 
at France the way he is at Real Madrid because he you know he can he has Griezmann and Mbappe there. They they all kind of can be interchangeable. Griezmann and Mbappe can do a lot of link up play as well. And I thought that was an interesting thing to know. And I think part of the reason why I mean if you fast forward since the inception the reinception of Benzema and the French national team and how well he's integrated already and how many goals he scored already all that stuff. Um, I think it just seems a little bit smoother and smoother every game. And I think it's a lot of it is just Benzema have, has just calibrated and adjusted to what Deschamps requires of him from an offensive flow standpoint. And he's been able to be efficient without having to be the absolute chief facilitator. And I think that that's a good sign because if you think about the last time he was in the awful was really when Cristiano Ronaldo was here and um, the then it, he took a backseat with his goal score. But I don't think the problem was the fact that he wasn't the alpha. The problem was that it just seemed like he just wasn't as confident in front of goal. Whereas now he can play that role where he's not as, you know, is not as ball dominant, but still pop up and score a bunch of goals. I think this is a great sign. I just think he's more confident now than he was when playing with Ronaldo because with Ronaldo, he would still get a lot of chances. And we all, we've all, we all know that Ronaldo probably would have had a lot more assists had Benzema been able to score some of those chances that were set up for him. But um, talk to me about Benzema's role with the French national team and for, feel free to also pinpoint that it was Kazakhstan who I, I only saw the highlights and it just seemed like they weren't defending. I don't know what the goalkeeper was doing half the time. But just maybe more of a general point, how is he doing with the French national team? And how do you think that will translate to Real Madrid next season? Yeah. Uh, so I think you summarized it, the aspect of, like, of Benzema now being focused more on finishing and letting uh, Mbappé and Griezmann have uh, more of the ball. And, and again, I think, and I think it's, it's quite interesting because I, I, I guess that maybe four or five years ago, we wouldn't have imagined Benzema in a role like this, just being the guy who finishes, who finishes your attacking place. But that's very much what he's playing with France. Like there are times where maybe he doesn't have as much, inf- like, well, he doesn't have nearly as much influence how France plays compared to compared to Real Madrid, he's always the, he's always he can, he's right now France's main finisher I would say uh, apart from Mbappe of course uh, and that's and that's interesting that's a role that right now it seems to be what France needs right now because uh right now Mbappe being more ball dominant more uh, involved in bringing the ball from deep uh yeah that's that's one of the big changes in how he's played in the last in the last two years or so uh, and he had that at just like what Benzema is doing right now at just well to the current versions of, of Mbappé and Griezmann. Uh, they both, uh, again, at for the first times uh, these, uh, this trio played, it still felt a bit off, like they were stepping on each other's zones, but I think they are increasingly figuring it out. All in all, uh, ever since Deschamps uh, switched to a back three in September, I really feel things... Uh, are working a lot better for France. The attack, they're still messy in defense. And it was really interesting to see these situations versus Kazakhstan, where uh, Kazakhstan could have had so much space to counter it, but they just don't have the players. And it's always, and it's, <laughs> and if you're a, like a Kazakh player, it's probably not a nice thing to, uh, to try to do a counter when you have, when you have like Kante Upamecano. Uh, or Kunde r- running at you. So uh, they, 
in in this case, they could snuff out counters really easily. But I still think France has a lot of defensive weaknesses still, and but I but the attack is getting better and it's getting more fun. And it was nice. Uh, the the big adjustment that the Shams did for this game is that instead of playing uh, Benjamin Pavard at the as the right wing back, uh, he play he played Coman. And that made it a lot more. So out of those eight goals, uh, two were assisted by Coman from the right, two were assisted by Teo Hernandez. And I, the, France is becoming a bit more fun to watch, which, yeah, it's something that we did not expect out of a Deschamps team. Yeah, I, it, I, I actually really enjoy when France is on the national team schedule now. It's a, it's a really fun fun thing to, to just witness and be and be a part of the spectacle. Um Mehdi, any France thoughts or do you want to move on? Uh, yeah, I think we can move on. I think Jose right. and you, you guys are. Right. So we long. got to like the meat and potatoes of the podcast, I think. What's left is uh, just a few notes on Austria. With all due respect to David Alaba, I, it just Austria is done and dusted. They're buried. They're not going to qualify for the World Cup. They can't even finish above third place. That was the case heading into a game against Israel, a game that they won 4-2. And... Um, Alaba was kind of just being Alaba. Um, really good crosses in this game, some good set pieces. Struggled defending crosses, and in fact was was in I think responsible for Israel's second goal, where he just falls asleep defending a a, a free header at the far post. So that's that. Um, Gareth Bale gets his hundredth international cap for Wales. Sam Sharp wrote about that on the website. He wanted to join the podcast today, but ultimately couldn't because it's 11 o'clock in UK. And I think he just wants, I, I assume he's just partying, but that's probably a, maybe, a, a, I don't know if that's true or not, but he just uh, couldn't make it. I would have been curious to know what his notes were for this game. Um, he does always sign up for Wales on the international break. I don't know what it is. He, he seems like really just love the Wales national team, but uh, he did. Mark, our point out in his article, and this was now widely reported and pretty common knowledge now, that the only reason he came off at halftime was it was because it was a pre-planned substitution that he was going to come off at halftime. He did get an assist, although it was more of like just, you know, obligatory. We have to give him an assist because he was the last player to touch the ball. He made a little simple pass in midfield and then some like you know, 10, 20 seconds later or whatever, ended up in the back of the net. And now Wales go to the playoffs. So we just hope that Bale returns healthy. That's the hope, I guess. Um, Mm -hmm. And just hope that (laughs) it is, it's just so, it's, it's almost, I don't know, the laugh or cry. I mean, it's a running joke that he, he trains with Real Madrid and becomes healthy for the national team just in time and and it's like a half joke but half cry for help because it just it's a self-fulfilling prophecy it, it ended up being true again so we just hope he returns back healthy i actually think he's someone we could definitely use this season at various points throughout mm-hmm. the the campaign and that actually concludes it i mean the last one on our list would have been eduardo camavinga but he did not play in france u21's 7-0 win over armenia and so that we've come to an end, gentlemen. I think we got through all of that. It's awesome. Um, any concluding thoughts on this Sunday night? You, go, you guys have any more games you have to cover for your national teams? I think France plays again, don't they? 
Uh, France plays on Tuesday against Finland. Uh, I'm not yeah. even sure what's in play at this point uh, for France because nothing for France. Yeah. So uh, uh, we'll see. We'll even see if it, like I for this one I prefer if Benzema doesn't start. Okay. Uh, our guy needs some needs some rest. So. Uh, it, it wouldn't surprise me if Deschamps just decide to play like the rest of the squad, the rest of the squad for this one. We'll we'll see what, we'll see what happens. Yeah, I pre- I prefer Benzema to re- to rest this one out. Uh, we need it for the we need him for this uh, for this last part of the calendar year. Yep, and Croatia is uh, is done. I don't see any Croatia games games coming up. Yeah. Uh, yep. Yeah. In the next next international break, I would want. Portugal to face well so that it's the Real Madrid bicycle kick derby uh, in the playoffs. Uh, so <laughs> uh, that's that's probably something I'll look forward to for the next round. But yeah, Croatia is done for, for, for this round. That'd be a juicy one. I mean, on one hand, I want all the best teams in the World Cup. On the other hand, I'd love to see some juicy playoff matches. It'd be a ton of fun if we saw something like that. Plus Netherlands versus whoever I, I don't know like just put i would be cool to see the big teams against each other in these playoffs um other games Great. i mean the big one on tuesday is brazil argentina which i don't think I, I i don't even know how much argentina care care about it uh i mean they everybody else obviously cares about it. it's brazil versus argentina but i just mean like brazil have just flown through these qualifiers without even getting a dent uh on them mm. a scratch on them they're just unscathed they're going to blitz through it they're qualified Casemiro is not going to play that game because he picked up a yellow against Colombia. Militao may or may not start. He hasn't been starting over Thiago Silva and Marquinhos. Um, but Vinicius may get a start. Um, not that I'm too crazy about him getting playing time in that game, like that game. But uh, I mean, just one of the things watching Brazil, Colombia, and it's just a reminder. It's nothing new, but just the physicality, the challenges, the ref letting so much go. It's a bloodbath. Also, I don't know if you guys saw Neymar just chest bump the ref and get away with yeah. it. <laughs> just crazy stuff. Um, uh, so, yeah. So, I hope that Vinicius gets the night off. I also hope Benzema gets the night off and that you get the night off, Fozzi, in that, in that France game. Austria play against Moldova tomorrow. It's the most non-consequential thing. Uh, you know, we'll throw something up if Alaba does anything noteworthy. And, Yeah. Um, yeah, there is a part of me though that would like to see, that would like to start seeing Vinicius having like big game nights with Brazil. But yeah, right now, right now, Real Madrid cannot afford an injury to Vinicius because he got because Cristian Romero gave gave him a kick in the <laughs> gave him a kick in, in the Argentina game. So yeah, uh, the the less the less our play the less our guys play the better. That's the reality. Yes. Yep. And I'm uh, like I'm an Argentina fan. It's always very weird for me because half of the Real Madrid starting lineup is from Brazil now. And so whenever it's Brazil versus Argentina, it's really weird for me. It's it's a bit better now now that Messi has left, so that I don't have to like cheer for a for a Barcelona legendary Argentina. But even more so, I don't want Vinicius to be playing against Argentina at the moment like win for me if Vinicius doesn't play yeah let's just bubble wrap everyone now get them back to the Madrid get them training um, so we can just focus on La Liga again and this is why our, our fixture is pretty brutal after the uh, after this break uh, fixtures are will get pretty difficult yeah we have a game pretty much every three to four days from 
once we get back until December 12th. And then we do get yeah. a bit of a Christmas break, which is nice. And then. Yeah, I just looking at the fig. Oh, my God. Sevilla, Real Sociedad, Inter, Atleti. Yeah, that, that four game stretch is insane. Oh. Yeah. And that's every th- and that's like every three for ooh, like every th- three yeah, to five. It days. gets pretty ooh, wild. November, oof. December. Then though there is only like, what well, we haven't hit yet. We don't even know about it yet. Well, who we're going to play, what it's going to look like. But there is always one annual week from hell, which is usually February or March, which is like yeah. it's like Barca Champions League knockout bar, uh, twice. <laughs> and it's all sandwiched in between. So it's going to get worse. It's almost going to get worse. Yes. Yeah. But hey, let's do more football. Let's put more games on the schedule. Let's do that World Cup every two <laughs> years. We need it. Uh, all right, gentlemen, it was a pleasure. Nice to have uh, the uh, the inception, the uh, the inauguration of this of this trio with Jose Mehedi and myself, and hopefully many more to come. Thank you guys for joining. Sure. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday and take care. Thanks, guys. All right. Take care, Jose. Take care, Kian. Take care, take care, guys. Thanks, everyone, for listening. All right, before we let you guys go, I wanted to give a quick shout-out to our $10-plus patrons and really a shout-out to all of our amazing patrons who make this show possible. We do a ton of bonus content for our patrons every Tuesday, every Thursday, plus bonus midweek shows for post-game Champions League games. We do live Zoom calls, video breakdowns. Uh, we do bonus Las Blanca, Las Blancas episodes. We do bonus Castilla Corner episodes sometimes. So we do a lot of exclusive content for patrons only. And we really appreciate you guys being part of the Patreon family with us. It's a never growing money. It's a family that we're super proud of because it's really just a bunch of amazing people. Uh, if you pledge $10 or more, you get guaranteed responses to your questions, but you also uh, get a specific shout out on the podcast. So shout out to our $10 plus patrons as follows. Brandon Alvarez, Bella Chow, Willie Reed, Wei Pering, Wamik Jamal, Umar Mahadi, Tyler Simon, Tobias Arroyo Bacher, Tahmid Kalam, Sujai Wani, Sumanchu Singh, <coughs> Shivam Tiwari, Shamil, uh, Shabazz Sharapov, Sergio Arispe, Santos Sorozano, Saeed Mahad, Sad Omar, Rovitakiev, Rishi D, Raul Gutierrez, Raghav Patluri, Phoenix, Oscar Barrera, Nico Laxo, Nicholas Zapatero, Zubiare, Nick Ribeiro, Muxi Thangal, Mowgli, MJ Diego, Michael Zinberg, Marin Myrtle, Martin Ridman, Leon Savernakis, Crystal Glass, Kevin Rivera, John Fernandez, Jeff Thurston, Jason Fitz, Graham Gerard, Gary Kohut, Frederick Rantakiro, Frederick Sundro, Spazel Hamdan, S.A. Davisito, Eloy Enriquez, Edward Sossman, Daniel Williams, Christian Toth, Christian Acosta, Charles Williams, Brendan Powers, Brandon Stevens, Austin Fury Erdman, Anthony Lombardi, Anirudh Singh, Alexis Saniceros, Al, Adam Dorsey, Bella Chow, Varun, Fabian Moreno, and Daniel Smith. Thank you guys so much. We appreciate you. Love you all. And Halamari. <laughs>